Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. So in Genesis 11, verse 1, it says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now, the, the way this is usually, you know, the way you usually learn this in Sunday school class is that they were going to build a, a tower so high that it would, it would go up into heaven where, where God dwelled. I, I don't think that was what was in their mind as they were doing this. Uh, you know, not that, not that they were physically somehow going to build a, a tower into, into heaven, but rather they're building a tower that is to them going to be a means of reaching heaven. Uh, you know, these, these religious structures that ancient man built, it was on the top of that high structure that they would perform their religious rituals that were designed to get them to heaven. These people are united together to, again, not in obedience to God, but in rebellion to God. And in verse 5 it says, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. You don't, you don't have a lot of places in the Bible where it describes the Lord coming down. You know, usually when it describes that, um, it's like this. He's coming down to see the wickedness of man. You see it with Sodom and Gomorrah, right? The Lord he goes and meets with Abram first, and then the angels go on to Sodom and Gomorrah to see the wickedness there. The Lord, it says, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one and they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. You know, that idea that if we could all get together, just think of the great things we could do. God, God agrees with that. When man's all together, there, there's no limit to what they can imagine to do. There's, there's nothing that restrains them from what they can do. I mean, God's put a, a creative capacity in man that is, you know, he's put a creative capacity in the individual, but you put a bunch of individuals together and, and that creative capacity is multiplied. Uh, it's not just, you know, you, you, can, you can wind up with a, a whole that's more than the sum of its parts, right? And, and so what the Lord is going to do here is he's going to put some things in place to make it so these men can't all get together. They can't all get together and do these kinds of things like, like building this tower. And so he says in verse 7, Go to, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. And so the thing that God puts in place to prevent all of mankind coming together as one is language. Now, 
you put something like that in place, I mean, here are these people working on this tower and all of a sudden, uh, you know, they can't understand each other. Um, it, it forces those people to divide up because, you know, two guys are working together and all of a sudden they realize they can't understand each other. But, hey, I can understand what that guy's saying over there. So I'll go over with him. And, and you start to have these people that split off into these different groups and these different families. All right. And, you know, a, a, a nation, really an organic nation, is nothing more than, than just a, a large extended family. Now, you didn't have, prior to this, you didn't have nations in the sense that we would think of it. You had family authority, and, and certainly with the long lifespans that they lived and the number of generations, I mean, you think, how many, how many generations did Adam see of his descendants in his 900 plus years? He saw a lot of generations, not just the, the two or three or possibly four that somebody might see today. I mean, he saw generation after generation and there's no doubt that Adam was the, the family patriarch of that, of that extended family, right? And so you have these families that wind up, and I think probably when God divides up the languages, you've got, you know, you've got families that are speaking the same language. It's not just random. And they start to split off. And now they can't all come together, so they, so they split up. And as they split up, they go to, to different areas of the earth. They spread out on the earth. Now, you know, these, these groups, when you think of the people, like I say, you got these three sons of Noah and, and in general, Shem, you know, if you start with the Middle East as kind of being the center, Shem is from there over to the east. Japheth is largely from, from the Middle East over to the, to the west. Ham goes down to the south. Now, those people, they start to develop some unique characteristics. In you know the people down into Africa, their skin starts to get darker over time, uh, as that gene- you know that genetic pool. They're in kind of a, a fairly closed genetic pool, and there's certain traits that develop. In Europe, they develop the light skin and and those features. In uh, Asia, they develop the distinctly Asian features. So that, you know there's physical features that develop among those different groups. And that's really just a, a product. It, you realize there is really no concept in the Bible of race or different races. There's, you've got the human race. You've got different traits that develop in different groups of people. But there aren't separate races in the sense that people generally use the term. All right. But, but they divide up into these, into these nations. They stop building the tower and they, uh, uh, Spread out in the earth, they scatter over the face of all the earth. Actually, if you go back into chapter 10, verse 5 says, By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands. And so these different groups of people, they're divided after their tongue, everyone after his tongue, after their families in their nations. Now, uh, a lot of people have defined uh, a nation as being language, borders, and culture. And that's really what you see in a verse like that, right? You have after their tongue, that's their language, after their families, that's their, their culture. And you have um, in their nations, that's their, their lands. And it mentions the lands there, divided in their lands, that's borders. And you know that, that God did that for a reason. Uh, the scripture says that he, he divided those nations so that men could, could you know, seek after the Lord and, and feel after him. Uh, you know, when all mankind is together 
And, you know, if you had somebody there at Babel who decides, I want to I want to serve the Lord and, and, you know, go after the Lord, they're going against an entire culture. Right. And that would that would have been a very difficult thing. But when you have these different nations and these nations often are in conflict with each other, it doesn't mean that that any of those given nations is is more godly. But it means if you need to, you've got a place to escape to. Right. So that if if uh, the truth of God's word is being persecuted in one area, you can go across a border where those people don't have any authority anymore. And and when you see, you know, you see the world today, the world today is is, you know, very much approaching the kind of world like you have here at Babel. You see that that uh, barrier of language going away. There are languages, you know, even beyond just the languages God puts in place here, languages kind of develop. You take a group of people and put them off by themselves, and over time there's going to be a different dialect that develops, and over enough time, they, you know, it's like they're speaking a, a completely different language. And so there's a lot of modern languages that you can kind of trace them back to, to some of these root languages. And if you traced it back enough, you would get whatever the root languages were there at the, the Tower of Babel. But you know that languages are disappearing today. Uh, there aren't new languages being developed and languages are disappearing. And, you know, especially as some remote peoples are disappearing. The languages that go along with them are disappearing. And every you realize that if you take just two languages, if you take just English and um, and, and Mandarin Chinese, you've got, I, I believe, more than half of the world's population there you can communicate with with just those two languages. If you add Spanish in, now you've got you know, a vast majority of the world's population. And even a lot of people that speak these minor languages, they know, depending on where they're at, they probably also know either English, Spanish, or Chinese. There would be some people who don't know any of those, but they're a, they're a minority in the world. And, 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 you know, over time you'll see those language barriers coming down as well. And even if you don't speak the language, you can use something like Google Translate and you know, you've got it. They won't give you a perfect translation, but it'll do a pretty good job. They have little little devices you can use and apps you can use that'll even even translate voice. You know, uh, it's not it's not going to be a barrier for much longer. And you know, when you consider that kingdom of the Antichrist that's going to come on the earth, that is going to be a unified world. It's going to be much like Babel. It's going to be a, a return to Babel with you know, one, uh, a one world government again in opposition to God and in, uh, in rebellion to God and to His will. And so out of that, now God doesn't just leave the world in, in chaos, excuse me, He doesn't just leave the world in chaos here with all the people divided. He, out of these nations, He takes a man named Abram and he's going to begin to form his own nation. Now this nation that's going to come from Abram, it isn't one of these, one of these peoples that are divided here at the, at Babel, but rather God is going to create a, a new nation from Abram that he is going to, to uh, use as his chosen people. Now what you see is a development of God's plan or a further revelation of his plan. He, he had said, uh, at the, at the fall, he had talked about the seed of the woman and how uh, Satan would would he would bruise Satan's head and Satan would bruise his heel. The seed of the woman. 
Now he's going to narrow that down. Now with Noah, he, he reconfirmed the, the uh, promise and he talked about Noah's seed. But now he's going to take one man, one individual, and from him he's going to create, he's going to create many nations from him, but he's going to create one special nation that is, is going to be, he's narrowing down who that seed line is. Okay, he's he's getting more specific. God is getting more specific in his revelation about where that seed is going to come from that he's going to use to defeat Satan. And so the genealogy in the rest of Genesis chapter 11 is that of Abraham. Now, what God's doing at this time, go over to Romans chapter one, because the book of Romans is describing this this setting aside of the nations. Okay? Now, what's described here in Romans chapter 1, I mean, in, in some ways is just true of the, the world at large, at all times, but it, as well as describing historically what took place here at this time, here in, in Genesis chapter 11. Um, so, so you see in Romans 1 verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now all of that is in the, in the present tense, right? Or for the most part. Uh, the wrath of God is revealed, is, is being revealed at present against these things. But you notice verse 21 says, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Now what tense is that in? That's in the past tense. It's, it's saying, you know, here's how we got to this, this uh, state that we're in. When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. You know, if there was any time when the world in general knew God or knew about God, it would have been a couple of times in history. One would have been soon after the creation, right? And that's why you, you, see, you see corrupted forms of the creation account in all of the mythologies of the world. Uh, you know, some, some people criticize the Bible and, and say that basically they just reworked the, the uh, pagan creation myths. The Bible wasn't reworking the pagan creation myths. It was correcting the pagan creation myths. They had, you know, these things that had been passed down verbally and, and had become corrupted. God gives Moses uh, the real information about what happened, and Moses writes it down. Um, so after the creation, you would have had a time when they knew God. And after the flood, you would have had a time when they knew God. Right? I mean, Noah and his sons knew God. Noah certainly did. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, there may be a question about his sons, but, but at least they know about God. Right? And you also find the flood in mythology all over the world. Right? Again, corruption. So the biblical flood account. But when they knew God, you see, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. What did it say in Genesis 11? That the, or Well, Genesis 6, it talked about the imaginations of, of their heart being evil. Uh, in, in Genesis 11, it talked about the things that they imagined to do, that they wouldn't be restrained in any of the things they could imagine to do. 
Their imaginations, their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man and the birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And verse 24 says, Wherefore, God also gave them up. Okay, now there's three phrases that are used here in Romans 1 regarding God, God and his, his change of, his change of attitude or, or his change of dealings with the nations. First it says he gave them up in verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. So he gives them up to the uncleanness through the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies between themselves. He gives them up unto vile affections, And then, in verse 28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. You see there the, you see the spirit, soul, and body there? You see the body, the, the affections, and the mind there? He gives them up in all of their being. He gives them up to to all those things. And, um, so he, he gives them up, he gives them up, he gives them over. And he just, God just, he just gives up the Gentiles. You know, they, they continually rebel against him. And the Gentiles just means the nations. There are no Gentiles before, before, uh, Genesis 11, before the Tower of Babel. It's there that then the isles of the Gentiles were divided. That's where the Bible starts to talk about Gentiles. Because that's when there are nations. Even uh, Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And that gives you an idea of what the culture was like at Babel. Uh, now, they were religious people, right? I mean, they've got this big plan to, to build this big building and, and to reach into heaven, right? They're religious people, but that religion really is just a cover for all these things that are really the, the, the desires of their heart, right? I mean, that, and, and you read that and you look at the world around you and you think, you know, we haven't, we haven't come that far away from Babel, have we? Um, you know, it's, it's the same kind of thing in the world today. But uh, Romans 1 really is describing their God giving up the nations. And that's the state that he leaves the nations in. And, and so, now he had promised he wasn't going to destroy the world with a flood again. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't, I mean, I suppose he could have a hundred years after the flood, he could have destroyed the world again in some other way. But he would have just had to do that over and over and over again, you know. Um, and that wasn't God's plan. God has a plan to redeem the earth. And so, there at the Tower of Babel, he gives up the nations, and then we begin to see him deal with Abram. You know, Abram comes from the city of Ur of the Chaldees. 
And the, the Chaldees, the Chaldeans were a, you know, a very prominent ancient culture. They, in later times, the, the, uh, you know, the book of Daniel and some of the prophetic books, it'll mention the Chaldeans, and they were like the, like the astrologers and the soothsayers later in, in later cultures. So it was this religious culture. Now the Chaldees, that is the Babylonians. That is Babel. Right? And, and, uh, this, this place of Chaldea, this Ur of the Chaldees, you can, you can look on maps, they've identified where it was. It's right in that region where it describes Babel being Nineveh. Nineveh was one of those major cities that was near there. Even before it mentions the Lord calling Abram, you see in chapter 11, verse 31, Terah, that's Abram's father, took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, it doesn't tell us why Terah decides to take Abram and Lot and go to the land of Canaan. And he doesn't get to the land of Canaan. But but uh, it's Abram's father, really, that takes them and they leave her of the Chaldees. Now, Abram's already grown at this point. He's married. Uh, but he takes Abram and Sarai and Lot and they leave her of the Chaldees and they start heading toward Canaan. Now, Haran winds up being kind of about halfway between... Ur and, and the land of Canaan. And Terah doesn't get there. You see, they just stop there in Haran, and Terah dies there in Haran. And then it's in chapter 12 that, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So here God tells Abram, now understand that that even at this point, you know, the, the point that the Bible identifies as the point where Abram was, we would use the word saved or, or justified, that hasn't happened yet. That's not until you get to Genesis chapter 15 that it says Abram believed the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. But, but here the Lord communicates with Abram and he tells him to, to get out of that country. This would be the country of Haran. To get out of that country, to leave his kindred, leave his father's house, to go to this land that he's going to show him, which, which of course is the land of Canaan that his father set out for anyway. Uh, and he tells Abram that he's going to make of him a great nation. Now later the Lord is going to change Abram's name to Abraham, which means the father of many nations. There are a lot of nations that come from Abraham, but there's only one great nation that comes from Abraham. And that's going to be Israel. And and you see, no longer is the focus going to be uh, just the seed of the woman, but now it's going to be Abram and his seed that is going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. It's Abram and his seed that are identified as being that source of blessing and being that source from which God is going to defeat Satan. And, and that's why some of those earlier activities that Satan was involved in, they take less of a prominent role because now he doesn't, he, you know, in his strategy, he doesn't have to corrupt the seed of woman. He doesn't have to corrupt this whole human race. He just needs to oppose these descendants of Abram. And, 
he needs to be concerned about this land that God is leading Abram to. And that's where Satan focuses his efforts. You see? And that's why from here forward, really, all of the Bible, until you get up to Paul and him going out to the Gentiles, it's focused on that land. I mean, that's, that's the place. And when God does tell somebody, he does tell Jonah to go to Nineveh, uh, Jonah does everything he can not to go. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a big issue. But, but the Bible is focused on that land and that place until you get to Paul. And Paul then, you know, goes out from there, out, out to the Gentiles again. But uh, here God calls Abram. And again, he identifies Abram and Abram's seed. And now the issue becomes in, in the world, are you blessing Abraham or are you cursing Abraham? Right? He says he's going to make him a great nation. He says, I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. So God is going to bless Abraham and Abraham in turn is going to be a blessing to everybody else. And it says, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. You know, the life of Abraham is kind of interesting because Abraham will go into a nation. He does it several times. He lies to them. They get punished by God because of him lying to them. And, you know, when it all gets found out, they give Abraham more stuff, right? They don't get mad at him because those nations at that time, some of them, they realize what God's doing with Abraham, right? They realize what, what's going on with Abraham and that they better bless him and not curse him. And so, so you know, those, those uh, nations around him that he's just a, a sojourner in their land, many of them become a blessing to him because that's the way they re- receive blessing from the Lord. That's not the way you receive blessing from the Lord today. You don't get blessed by God by, by blessing Israel, Abraham's seed. That's, you know, we're in the dispensation of grace. There's no difference. Um, many, many Christians are still working under that idea and, and, you know, they think, they think we better do everything we can to, to bless, to bless Israel and, and, and help Israel. And the reality is today God's taken away the difference and Israel's just one of the nations. He's going to use them again. He has a future purpose for them. But you don't get any special blessing from God today by blessing Israel. But if you're back here, you do get blessing from God by blessing Abram. And uh, uh, Abram, Abram goes. Now, one of the things that you, that you see here in the life of Abram. Now, when God tells him to go, he tells him to, he says, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. But, you know, Abram doesn't do that right away. He goes out of his country but, but you see, verse 4, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. Well, isn't Lot part of his father's house that he was supposed to get out from? Right? He, he brings Lot with him. And you know, Lot winds up being nothing but trouble for Abram. They're, they're, and, and realize here, when Abram is going out, Abram is not some, you know, some, some homeless vagabond. Abram's a rich man already here at this point. He has hundreds of servants with him. I mean, he has hundreds of servants that could go and fight later on in a, in a battle, not to mention whatever servants he has that were just, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't be able to fight. He has animals, you know, he has a lot of possessions he's taking with him. It's not just lonely Abraham and, and, and Sarah and Lot traipsing across the wilderness. You know, he, he's got a lot of things he's taking there with him. But you see, he takes Lot with him. And... Um, there, there, there winds up being fights between Abram's servants and Lot's servants. They kind of try and divide up. And it's really not until Abram separates from Lot 
that then God begins to kind of advance what he's doing with Abram. And that, you know, that comes sometime later. He says he's going to make of Abram a great nation. That people that come from Abram are not identified as a nation until hundreds of years later. It's, it, it, Israel is not identified as a nation until God brings them out of Egypt. That's the first place they're called a nation. And in fact, there's passages that talk about him uh, making them into a nation in Egypt. That's when they become that nation. These things are not fulfilled in the lifetime of Abram. But with Abram, God begins to do something different. He'd been dealing with mankind as a whole. Now he's going to deal with one nation. He's going to, like he told Abram, he would bless him and he would be a blessing. God's going to bless that nation with the intent that they then would become a blessing to the rest of the earth. Not not to bless them because they're worthy of blessing or they're, they're the only ones that can get blessing. The idea is when God dealt with the world as a whole, they united in rebellion against them. He splits them up and he takes one, you know, one family, one nation. They're going to be the recipient of his blessing so that they can then, then be a light to the rest of the world. And, you know, those individuals out of those various nations can be drawn to that light and join themselves to that nation or come to God through that nation, that seed of Abraham. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.